Father, we are thankful for this morning. We are thankful for a God who, while being so powerful and almighty and on a throne of glory, still desires for us to come before him. God, I pray that in this moment today that we as a church body approach your throne with open hearts, ready to receive whatever it is you have for us, God. Father, I pray that today you are glorified. I pray today that that you are magnified. And that when we leave this place today, Father, that we not only are worshiping you in this place, but we continue that into our walk the rest of the week so that people look at us and realize there's something different about us. God, let us be a people of faith who represent you well. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. Well, I know Brother Jeff has been off the book of John for a couple of weeks now, and he's asked me to return to the book of John, um, and so we will be there. Now, if you guys remember last week, it may have been first or second service, I'm not sure, but he said his ultimate fear was that I would finish the whole book of John. And so I really, I took that as a challenge so that he has nothing to preach for about six weeks. No, just kidding. No. No, we're going to be in chapter six of the book of John and uh, be, be reading through there. So if you want to turn your Bibles to chapter six, that is where we'll be picking up. Just to recap a little bit, I preached, whenever that was, several weeks ago, on the feeding of the 5,000. And we looked at how Jesus took a few morsels of food, multiplied it out to where people ate, ate to their fill, and started to recognize, really, who Jesus was. And then a couple weeks ago, Jeff, Brother Jeff preached on Jesus walking on water. So in the context of the story, we have like this kind of picnic by the sea, right? People got all this food they wanted. And then the disciples decide they're going to go to the other, sea, other side of the sea <clears throat> by boat. And Jesus kind of says, okay, you guys go. And he does something else. And the people who are there uh, probably went about, back to kind of about their day and uh, begin to realize something was afoot. So if you guys will just turn to verse 22 with me. I'm going to read through so we can be in context of what's going on. <clears throat> and then we'll pick up there. It says, on the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten their bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, 
Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. So picking up back at the top of the story, we have this group of people waiting on the sea. Okay, we're told it's the next day. And, you know, we, we're not exactly told why they begin to seek Jesus. But I'm guessing they're hungry again. They ate yesterday. They got full, maybe full to they were miserable. And like, oh man, Jesus makes some good food. The next day they're going, it's breakfast time. Where's Jesus? Where's that guy that gave us food yesterday? Sounds like a bunch of teenagers, doesn't it? You know, you feed them and then they keep coming back and come back again. And you're thinking, pantry's not big enough to house a teenager. And I've got a future of three at one time in my house. And so some of you guys have been there and know how that goes and be praying for me. So we have this scene, these people are looking for Jesus. And, and perhaps they kind of go about, back about their day and then you're kind of doing things. They're talking about what Jesus did. And maybe someone is like, maybe it's hunger, but maybe one of them's like, hey, let's go find that Jesus. We want to we talk to this Jesus again. And they can't find him. So, and they're like, okay, well, we know his disciples got in the boat and went that way, but Jesus didn't go on the boat. And so they're kind of looking, maybe boats are coming in, going out, and they're like, okay, looking, see if Jesus is going to come off or get on a boat, and they never see him. It says, so they decide to go look for him. They find him on the other side, and they're pretty confused how Jesus got there, right? Because unbeknownst to the, the crowd, Jesus had just walked on the water, you know, the same point where he called Peter out, and Peter walked in the water with him, began to sink as soon as he took his eyes off Jesus. And so the, the crowd doesn't know all this, so obviously it was kind of a private moment. But Jesus gets on the boat with the disciples and finishes the rest of the way to the other side. So this crowd finds Jesus, <clears throat> and they're like, wait a minute, how, teacher, how did you get here? And, <laughs> and what's funny is he, he doesn't answer them. He never says, well, you see, they went ahead, then I just walked out to them, and, you know, it's kind of the thing I do. <laughs> that would have been easy, right? But he tells them that, hey, you know what? You're not looking for me because you saw some signs. You're looking for me because you, you had some food, and you're hungry again, aren't you? And I feel like Jesus kind of repeats this over and over again because he's trying to point something out to the crowd and also to us. But here's what, something I want us to realize here. This crowd of people, they saw something out of the ordinary. They knew this wasn't, there was something different about this occurrence. It wasn't just like, you know, Jesus snuck away and walked around by himself. No, the Bible clearly points this out because the crowd doesn't understand how Jesus got to the other side. And I wonder in our lives when, you know, I feel like that's almost kind of like when we first start getting involved in, in church or maybe start get, looking toward the things of Jesus. And we have this moment where we kind of get a taste of Jesus. And we're like, oh, man, that was awesome. And I want more. And I, I think back to when, when I first started getting involved in church and I began to read Scripture. 
I really wanted to know who Jesus was. I wanted to know, you know, th- this, this guy, Jesus, they talk about how, how loving he is and all these awesome things he did and died on the cross. I want to know who Jesus is. And so I began to investigate. I began to pour into Scripture. And the more and more I saw that Jesus satisfied my longing for any joy or any peace that I, I wanted. And here's a big one. You know what? Jesus accepted me for who I was, no matter what my past looked like. Jesus loved like no one else. You know, we, we look at the world and we see all these people that talk about love and stuff, but when we read the scriptures and we read the love and the way that Jesus interacted with people, there's something not normal. And I think that's cool. Because that was my, ordinary, my unordinary moment. Is that a word? Unordinary? Non-ordinary? I don't know. You know what I mean. Not ordinary. <laughs> and since I had this first taste of Jesus when I first started getting involved, I wanted more. And so what I did then is I got more and more involved in church. And because I knew that if, if this guy I was reading about it could satisfy these things that I had, this, this, this emptiness in my life, if he could satisfy, surely I can go be around his people and I can get more of that. And these people are going to be so nice and it's just going to be one big happy family. Boy, was I wrong. <laughs> if you guys have been around the church any more in time, you realize there are struggles in the church. There are, there are issues that happen. There are things that happen. There are people that are going to let you down. There are people that are going to make decisions that you don't fully agree with. You know, and they never ask the person who really knew the answers, which is myself, making the suggestions. Right? That's what I tell my wife all the time. I'm like, man, I wish they would just ask me. And she's like, well, did you want to be in charge? No, I didn't. Okay, I'll be quiet. God must have a sense of humor. Because I don't know if you guys realize this, but he says, okay, you know what? I'm going to take broken and selfish people who struggle with seeing perspective of other people, and I'm going to say, okay, you guys go be together and be like a family and be on purpose together, and you have to be effective in my name. We struggle in our own immediate families to get along, right? How much so when we have all these other families, different cultures, different backgrounds, different ideas, thoughts together in one place? Surely there's going to be issues. So God, I I think he just is like, all right, this is going to be fun. Go. (laughs) But what's cool is Jesus also comes along and he gives us these things called spiritual gifts. When you accept Jesus, Scripture says that you're given a spiritual gift. And you know what the sole purpose of a spiritual gift is? For us to be a family and more effective, better. Whatever your gift is, you can research that later. We don't have time for that today. But whatever that is, the sole purpose is so that we can do this thing called church that he instructed us to be. And now I fully believe that the majority of the time people in the church are not really seeking to slight each other. It really is just we struggle with seeing perspective from other people's side of, uh, point of view. So we could go down to verse 26. Jesus instructs them to not work for food that perishes, but for food that ensures eternal life that only the Son of Man can give. And I know if you're, if you're new to this Jesus thing, you're like, Son of Man. Well, what does that mean? It basically is another title of who Jesus is. And so he's not directly saying, I'm the Son of Man yet. He does in a moment. 
but he's kind of pointing out, hey, there's this thing that's going to fulfill every desire that you have that's going to give you real life, spiritual life that lasts forever. And the Son of Man gives it. But what we see is once again, just like in the woman at the well, just like when he fed the 5,000 people plus, he's taking something physical, he's taking their physical need of hunger or thirst, and he's making a spiritual application and saying, you know what? Humanity all lacks something. Because we're all broken, sinful people, we lack something and we have this longing for completion. It's built into every man and woman. That's why in this world, people are always seeking. They're they're like, man, there has to be something more to this. There's got to be something that fulfills this longing I have. And people have searched the earth up and down. And I can tell you today, the only place that you can find it is in Jesus. Like we said earlier, the day before they ate their fill, they, they filled up on fish and bread. And today... They're hungry again because that food lost its effectiveness. Jesus is pointing out, hey, you, you, can, you can get so full on physical things, on things of this earth. You can, you can be so busy and fill your life with these things that, that just take over your life. But if they're not Jesus, they'll lose their effectiveness. Soon or later, you'll want something more or else. But Jesus is wanting them to know that he can fulfill this different kind of hunger. He's not talking about the physical hunger. He's talking about this spiritual hunger, this longing for completion that we all have. And then he verifies this just by pointing out that the Father has set his seal on him. And what's funny is I think Jesus says these words, and these are Jewish people. I mean, they go to to temple, they've, you know, probably read or heard about stories from the Old Testament— and this piqued their interest. So to the Jewish mind, what's interesting, at this day we read from other like, books and stuff that they believed that in heaven there was like this big storehouse of manna, heavenly food, right? And when Moses uh, brought the manna down or, you know, had God brought the manna down, the Jewish people believed that like Moses was able to like open the storehouse and they were able to get this food. And so the Jewish people, they actually believed that there was some secret formula to getting to heaven. Perhaps, you know, if, if, I, if I do this, this, and this, in this order, and I do it just at the right time, then I will earn my way to heaven. And so they were constantly thinking, okay, at one point, Messiah is going to come, and he's going to tell us step one, two, and three to get to heaven. And so you can imagine... In verse 28, they say, what must we do to be doing the works of God? This group of people fully expected Jesus to go, all right, I'm the the son of man. I'm offering this thing to you. All you have to do is this. Do this and do this, and then you'll have it. And I don't know if they were expecting like some kind of like, like epic quest or like maybe Indiana Jones, they were all grabbing their, their hats and their whips, and they were like, all right, Jesus, tell us where to go. We're going to go and find heaven or whatever. I don't know. But Jesus responds, you know what? 
you guys can't do the works of God because the work of God is this, that you believe in him who he sent. And it seems so simple, doesn't it? I just have to believe. I just have to put trust and faith in the Son of Man, the Son of God. We as humans often start to think we can add to what Jesus did. And Jesus says, no, you can't add anything. All you can do is believe. Often we tell ourselves we have to get our life right. And once my life is all situated, my life is right, then, then I'll go and go to the church and I'll be before people who are perfect. And then once I'm there and I kind of get comfortable in the church and people, you know, kind of know I'm supposed to be there, then I'll, then I'll investigate this relationship with God thing and then I'll have eternal life. That is in our humanity, our brokenness, trying to add to what Jesus already did. Now, we know at this time that Jesus had not died on the cross yet, but think to what Jesus' words were when he was on the cross. Right before he gave up his spirit, he said, it is finished. In other words, God, the work of God was done. Sin was defeated. Now salvation is available to ever who believe. So picking up verse 30, like we said a couple weeks ago, Passover is still at hand. They're kind of working through the, the stuff of the Passover. And you can imagine that in the temple, the rabbis were teaching the stories of Moses and the Exodus and where they, you know, Moses got the people out of Egypt and, and led them through the wilderness for 40 years. And then how did they feed them while they were in the wilderness? Well, Moses had that storehouse of, of heaven opened so that they could eat. And Moses was kind of a redeemer figure for the Jewish people. When re in reality, Moses was really just pointing us to who Jesus was in the New Testament. But there was thought in the day in the mind of the Jew that, you know, if, if Moses was the redeemer figure and he brought manna down from heaven, well, one day the Messiah who comes is going to bring manna down from heaven. And so then, if you know that, you begin to understand why in verse 30, they start to ask, what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Now, I find that extremely strange. Now, reading the context, this surely is at least some of the people that were there the day before, right? I mean, it, it says the same crowd. What did he do the day before? He gave them food to eat. And now they're back looking for more food to eat. They're so focused on this physical that they're missing the spiritual. And so Jesus over and over again is telling them, no, that doesn't last. There's something more that I can give you. So he, they ask him to perform some kind of sign. And then they even go and they start talking about Moses again. And they're like, our fathers... They ate the, the man in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. I really think this is like a younger sibling, older sibling kind of situation. Now, I'm an older sibling, so I'm guessing I was on the good end of this. But I've heard stories about the younger siblings who, you know, go through school, and they get to a class, and they had the same teacher as like an older sibling. And 
maybe the older sibling was, you know, class clown or something, and like the, you walk in as a younger sibling, and teacher's like, oh, it's a hog again. <laughs> oh. And you like, you have like this like context forced on you without even like them knowing who you are. I feel like this is the moment that Jesus is in that kind of situation. I mean, he's not brothers to Moses or anything, but they're kind of like, hey, well, Moses was awesome. Moses, we know, was a man of God, and he did this. So what are you going to do, Jesus? What are you going to do for us? And then Jesus responds, truly, truly, I say to you, which basically means, all right, guys, listen up. This is, this is real truth right here. It was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. So he really kind of clarifies. He's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Moses was just there. <laughs> you guys ever thought about that? Moses didn't have any power. God worked through Moses, but Moses didn't have any power. And so he starts pointing out, okay, he's like, first of all, Moses didn't give them the food. It was my Father in heaven. Now, also catch that. He says, my Father he just said, now, I'm the son of God. That's a big deal. He's like, Moses, who you guys respect, who you guys think is this big spiritual giant? No. My father, because I'm the son of God, will give you the true bread from heaven. And he continues on, and he says, this bread is a he. In other words, this bread is a person. And so now this bread that Jesus has been referring to the whole time is a person. And then he says, this he gives life to the whole world. And so the people in this crowd begin to like, oh man, that sounds good. I, 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 want, I want the true bread. Give us the true bread from heaven. They're like, give us this bread always. And you can see they're still kind of missing. If they're wanting something that they're getting continually, they're still looking for the physical. They're still missing it. And then Jesus plainly comes out and says, I am the bread of life. There has to be something in, in humans. We're looking for something to satisfy this longing inside us, right? And these people have realized that they're at this point from where Jesus has worked them from wanting food to really kind of wanting the real thing, but they don't realize it's the real thing yet. And they know they're hungry for something. Have you guys ever been hungry, like so hungry you feel weak? I don't, I don't think a lot of us in America, in America have, have had that experience. <clears throat> I've had one instance that I can like relate sort of where I was hungry and there was a bunch of excitement and I was weak. So it actually has to do with the birth of my second son, Brazos, who is six, turning seven. I already heard giggles come from out there because some people know this story. This is the story that Megan promised she would never tell anybody, and then a lot of people know. Um, but anyways, so we had gone in one day to kind of see, you know, Brazos is going to be due like kind of any day now that week, and we went in for a checkup, and they're like, okay, you're good, go home. And uh, the next day, Megan goes into labor, and we rush to the hospital. And we're getting there, we're getting all in the room, getting all set up, getting everything going. Um, she's kind of doing the labor thing. They come in there and they're going to do the epidural. And if you've never seen an epidural needle, it's about 10 meters long. Um, and they normally, which happened to my first and third son, 
they say, okay, husband, you sit in this chair right here, and you can, you can, you know, look at your wife in the face and tell her you love her and all that kind of stuff. Well, this time, I don't know what happened. They didn't, there was no chair. And so I'm just standing there, and they're like, hey, you good? You're afraid of needles? I'm like, no, needles are fine. I mean, needles don't bother me. So I'm standing there. I'm like, oh, I'm okay. Then uh, I go, no, I'm not okay. And the, the next thing I know, okay, and so I'm going to tell you the story from my perspective. The next thing I know is I'm taking this really good nap, really good nap. And I hear screaming. People are going, man down, man down. There's a guy on the floor. Get a wheelchair. You know, all this stuff. And like, I'm just listening to all this noise. And I'm thinking, I'm trying to take a nap. And all of a sudden, it kind of came to me. I was like, wait a minute. I'm that man. <laughs> so, so I open my eyes, and there's about 42 nurses and doctors over me, like wheelchair in hand, ready to like whisk me off. And I kind of wake up, and I'm not really sure what go, was going on. I'd actually fallen down and hit that computer they had besides the bed. I like smacked my head on it. So um, now from Megan's perspective, she said, I'm getting a needle in my back, and I look, look down, and I think you're dead. So, um, but I get up, and, and they, they're like, oh, are you okay? Are you okay? And they sit me down, have my, 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 put my head down, all this kind of stuff. They're like, did you eat anything today? And I was like, no, I didn't. I mean, it was just kind of a, one of those rush days, ex- a lot of excitement, a lot of things going on. I didn't have any food or anything. And so when it came time for something really exciting, it, my body just gave out, and I hit the floor. Now, what was funny is the rest of the hospital stay, the nurses and doctors continued to come in and check on me. Hey, you doing okay? You need anything? And Megan's like, I'm having a baby. Um, <laughs> But I got to this point where I was obviously so hungry and there was so much going on that my body was anemic. It needed something to sustain itself, and I didn't have it at that time when I needed it. And so I look at what Jesus is saying here, and he's saying, I'm the bread of life. I can give you something to sustain your life. And I have to ask myself, and I pray you do too, is are we spiritually anemic? Because when we're spiritually anemic, it becomes harder to see how God is working around us. Now, God is always working. He's always at work. He's doing stuff around us, but we miss it because we haven't feasted on the bread of life lately. These people that are in this crowd, it actually ends and says he does not yet, they do not yet believe because they're so spiritually unaware of who is right in front of them. In church, coming to this building, being a part of the activities, is not feasting on the Word of God. It's not feasting on the bread. And so do I feast on God's Word? In John chapter 1, we're told that Jesus is the Word of God. And now we're told that Jesus is the bread of life. We're supposed to be feasting on that bread of life. Digging in, devouring everything that is in here because this is where life is. In other scripture, we talk about the armor of God and it talks about having the, pull, the full armor of God and every little piece of the armor is, you know, mean stuff. And the one it points out is the scripture is the sword of truth. That's belt of truth. Sword. I just said the wrong thing. I don't know what it is. It's the sword. There we go. Sword of the spirit. Okay. But our Bible is known as the sword. So on Wednesday, we were watching the, the, Milgram, the movie Pilgrim's Progress. If you missed it, I really encourage you to go see it because there's so much symbolism in there about our, our journey to uh, have faith in Jesus. But at one point, the main character, his name is Christian, he has put on the full armor of God. He's got his sword. He's kind of going through. 
and the enemy kind of comes out of nowhere. And I assume this, this line is in the book too. I'm not sure because I haven't read it. But the enemy approaches Christian and he says, hey, put down your sword. I'm not armed. And Christian lowers his sword and kind of puts it away. I think a lot of us have willingly put our swords down. Maybe it's due to just being busy and we're like, man, I can't find time to do it. And we make excuses. Maybe we feel like we don't understand it and so we don't even try. But our, our Bibles just gather dust during the week. Maybe we open it on Sundays and Wednesdays. I want you to think about this. If you ate food only when you read the Bible, would you be strong or would you be weak? And no one can claim they know Scripture well enough to not need it. There is so much in here. And for thousands of years, people have been studying this and, and writing about this and preaching on this and still have not exhausted what's in this book. So in your lifetime, there's no chance you can know it well enough to say, no, I don't need to read it. We need the life-giving words so that it can change us, so that it can satisfy us, because it's only in these words of Jesus that we can be satisfied. And church, we can to this point where we say, man, you know, we, what we need is a revival. We need a revival to happen, then people will be reading their Bibles and be in church and all that stuff. And I don't know if it's just a pet peeve of mine, but I, there's something I think we have to understand as God's people. Revival does not just happen. Revival is when God's people are praying, are feasting, and asking God to move in their hearts. Revival is when, when we as God's people are kind of reawakened to what God wants to do in our life for Him. So yes, church, we do need to arm ourselves and be regular partakers of this life-giving words. Because when we're spiritually anemic, we are unarmed in spiritual matters. Don't be unarmed. If you don't get anything today, I want you to hear this. Jesus, being the Word of God, is the only thing in life that can and will satisfy us. And perhaps you're here and you're just here checking things out. We're like, man, I, just, I, I, I need to get back in church or I'm kind of investigating the things about Jesus and I want to I see, check it out. What's interesting, this is one of the first I am statements that Jesus makes in his ministry. And I think as we read the book of John, there's seven or eight of them. But to the Jewish people, I am was something important. Because it refers back to the Old Testament when God is sending Moses to go do his work and go talk to Pharaoh. Moses is like, well, who do I tell them that sent me? And God says, tell them I am sent you. Basically, it's a, it's a to be verb in the, in the language. It's like, I am that I am. I am everything. And Jesus uses the same language in this statement where he says, I am the bread of life. Jesus is the satisfaction for that longing that we all have built in us. He is the only one that can free us from the brokenness that we all have. 
And so in just a moment, I'm going to invite Andy up. And I'm going to give you guys a moment to just pray. If, th- if this is a time where you're like, you know what? I need to have that relationship with Jesus. I, w- I want that satisfaction. I want that longing fulfilled. I want that completion that you can only find in Christ. This is an opportunity for you to come forward and we can talk through that. This may also be a chance if you're, if you're looking to perhaps join the church or, or be a part of what we're doing where we're trying to be this family. Yes, broken and messed up, but trying to do it the right way so that people know who God is. I invite you to come be a part of that. So I'm going to pray as Andy comes up. Father, you are so good. I thank you for your word, God. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for the life that he lived, that we may read it and see the way he loved, see the way he interacted, see the way that he led people and pointed them directly to you. God, I thank you for his death on the cross that we'll be celebrating this next week because it was the the ultimate victory over sin and death. God, maybe we be a people who can find faith and trust in that and begin to believe in who you are. God, I pray that if anyone here is, is looking for that, that satisfaction, Father, that they, they're able to come up and uh, make today the day that we talk through what it means to be a follower of Christ. We ask these things in your name. Amen.